Every business should have access to high-speed internet, no matter where they are. But getting fast speeds in rural Canada hasn't always been easy, which meant less reliability, scalability, and connectivity. ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions has the network to help you do business virtually anywhere in Canada. With extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're bringing the high speeds of the big city to small towns, to tiny towns, and even no towns. No matter your business size or location, get connected today with ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices of women entrepreneurs in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, guests will speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. Each one inspires us all to take up space within our own communities and within the business world, reminding us that each path can be messy and unique. Join us on the journey, clearing a new path. Ontario-based artist Heather Lynn Travis is known for her bold use of color in her large-scale and often whimsical abstracts. A lifelong artist selling mainly to family and friends, Heather has been exhibiting professionally and selling art to strangers since 2018, and in that short time has sold almost a hundred works of art, as well as limited edition prints now living in homes all over North America and even one in the UK. Heather's work has been featured at the Tom Thompson Art Gallery, Loft Gallery, and others. Heather will be having her first solo exhibition in the fall of 2023. Her creative energy is channeled into not only her paintings, but also a fun and vibrant fabric line, and her popular weekly Instagram Live called hashtag Shart with Heather, Shitty Art Classes for Adults hosted every Saturday since January 2021, where Heather inspires others to throw some color around and connect with their inner child through art. Heather is also a regular guest host of the popular arts podcast, and she looked up. Okay, Heather, where do you hail from? Where in rural or remote Canada are you? I am in Terra, Ontario, which is 20 minutes outside of Owen Sound and about three hours north. Mm, I never get my never eat shredded wheat right. Uh, three hours outside of Toronto. North of Toronto? <laughs> north of Toronto? On your way to Tobamori. <laughs> Let's say that. If you're from Toronto, how did you end up in rural Ontario? Yeah. So I grew up in downtown Toronto. 
Uh, never, ever thought I would ever leave the city. My parents, m- most, I mean, most of my friends' parents are divorced. My, my parents are divorced and one was in one side of the city. The other was in the other side of the city. My whole life was lived taking TTC to from everywhere. And I never, ever thought country life yet. We, I mean, I grew up very privileged. We have a summer cottage that we would go to. So it's not like outside the city was unfamiliar to me. Uh, And I went to summer camp. So I love the outdoors. But I never, I was always just like, I'm going to live. In fact, I dreamed of moving to Manhattan when I was a child and owning a tiger. That's how like urban I wanted to be. (laughs) Um, And yeah. And then when I met my husband, who's originally from Collingwood, Ontario, We moved to Toronto right after university because I couldn't fathom anything else. But we left the city every weekend, every single weekend. And we would battle traffic. And we both worked outside of the city. So we were battling traffic to get to work. We were battling traffic to get out to the city. And we were paying a premium to live in downtown Toronto in a house that didn't even have a driveway. Like, we had to park our car on the street. And uh, you've never seen grownups be as uncivilized as winter with street parking in Toronto. I'll tell you that much. Anyway, and so we left the city and we moved to a little community called Aaron, which is um, just outside of Guelph. And we were there for over 11 years. And funny enough, I don't know if the name will ring a bell. Her name is Anita Stewart, who's one of Canada's true culinarians. She's a She had sadly passed away a couple of years ago, but she lived in Allura, Ontario. And when I moved to Aaron, she said to me, you just wait, girl you're going to go further out into the country. Once you get a taste, you're going to go further out. And she's totally right. When we moved to Tara three years ago, we're in the middle of nowhere and we love it. We love it. It's awesome. I love, we have cows that I hear every single morning. I love it. It's fabulous. Yeah. I wouldn't change it for the world. I couldn't, I don't know if I could live in a city anymore. Yeah. It is, it is a a way of life. Definitely. Yes. How about professionally? How did your professional life lead you to becoming your own boss? Oh, my goodness. So that's an interesting question. My my dad has uh, been an entrepreneur since I was, uh, he got downsized, I think, in the 80s from his big corporate job, and he became his own boss. And I think I always kind of thought that was cool and I worked for the man. I worked for big agencies in Toronto. I worked for national organizations. Interestingly, even when I was in downtown Toronto, one of my big sort of working for the man jobs was a national PR director for Canada Beef, which is the organization that represents Canada's beef farmers. And so I was a city girl doing communications for an agricultural organization. And I was putting on, like, I would literally take off my high heels and put on rubber boots and go tread through shit on farms outside the city to meet these people who I was representing and I got, I had an incredible privilege of traveling across the country and going to farms all across the country. I think I've been to a farm, a beef farm in every single province of Canada, except Newfoundland, um, which is a privilege. Uh, And meeting farmers is a total privilege. Like I get in arguments with people when people get all uppity about their food. If you have not stepped foot actually stepped in shit on a farm, you cannot talk about where food comes from, full stop. That's like such a big, as a city person who people are like, you need to talk about this food, that food, whatever. I could go on forever about this. But if you haven't been to a farm, 
sorry, your your opinion is like a cow's up. Uh, it's a moo point. It's like a cow's opinion. Ooh, it's not worthy. It's like <laughs> anyway. So I was working so like in the urban but rural world at the same time, and and then I got a job to move to Guelph um, and open a big PR agency's Guelph office with specifically with an agriculture focus, and so my urban appeal was the strength in my rural appeal. Like it actually the being the city girl who could talk farm and then go back to the city people and talk and not, I was the bridge between the two and it worked so beautifully. And I, I still continue in my freelance life. I still work with huge amounts of agricultural groups because that's, I love working for farmers with farmers and talking about where Canadian food comes from. And I think funny enough, that's why I like rural life so much is I drive past these fields. Like I see every morning, like just today, all of it's calving season. So there's all these little calves out on the farmer's fields and like you see the buds and you see when corn is getting planted. And that is such a, like the life cycle of food and the environment to me, it completes my sense of being and like reminds me of the, like why I do the, what I do, I think. And I don't know if I would feel that sense of purpose if I lived in the city. The purpose would be to hustle. And that, I think that's like the wrong purpose for me, for me. So how did it evolve? So you went uh, and opened this agency in Mm -hmm. Guelph. Did that, that caused you to move farther out of the city? Yeah, that was when we were still outside the city in Erin. And it was when I was working at the agency that I realized this is such fabulous experience to actually do this on my own. And the agency was going a whole bunch of different directions. I wanted to go a different direction. And so it was sort of the perfect time to say, perfect, I got you where you needed to be. I can go and do what I want to do. And I was That was my husband and I had also opened our retail business, which is a bicycle store. And I was able to then be home and support him in little ways that I wouldn't have been able to if I was at an office job. So we kept inventory in our basement. Uh, He could text me. And he's funny. He said to me the other day, he's like, remember the inventory in the basement? I'm like, do I ever? I said, I still get PTSD from the text message noise and having to like hustle to the basement, grab that piece of inventory, throw it in the car, like drive it down to the bike shop, basically throw it at the customer and then like bolt back to my office. But I was able to do it those 10 minutes of like supporting him I was able to do that. And even little things like I rode my bike down to the shop and we had lunch together every day and it was really lovely. And so that transition and this simplest, like we, as small business owners, we work harder than anybody I know who works an office job. But I say we have a simplicity of life that is actually quite lovely in that we get to spend time together, which is something our, you know, our partnership really values. Some some couples don't work well together. If they have X amount of hours together, we excel at being together. And and so being together and helping each other in his business and my business is like really gratifying for us. So that transition was really wonderful. And then interestingly, I wanted to transition from doing f- 
more freelance to doing more art, which I had been doing over the years, but never sort of publicly. And the move further rural to where we are in Terra was specific to me taking that next step. And we bought this house with specific, with this studio space, like every property we looked at was with Heather's studio in mind. Um, And so that next evolution of me and my business and my creativity and just my sort of contribution to the planet happened because we moved further out and were able to take advantage of the space that it offered and the community too that's around us. What was the catalyst for you to decide, I am an artist and I'm going to make money at this? Painting has always been something that I have done. Like I sold my first painting when I was in grade three to my grandfather. (laughs) It's still, it's hanging in my sister's house. I don't know why she has it, but anyway, my sister has it. So it's something I've always done. My husband and I tried unsuccessfully for 15 years to have children. Painting was very much a therapy for me. It got me through it, truly. Painting was my release. Painting was, I was allowed to be sad and happy all at the same time. Painting took me out of my head. Paint me, painting put me back in my head. Painting, like painting did all the things. It did all the things. And I have always filled the walls in my own home with my my own paintings. Friends and family have my paintings in their homes. But quite literally, I was I was painting myself out of a dark hole and there were too many canvases and not enough walls. And so I kept staring at these canvases going, do I want to paint over them? Which I do very frequently. If I have moved past something, I'm like, oh, paint over it. Um, I'm not precious about it. But I didn't want to paint over them. I really liked them. And I kept sort of staring at them. And anyway, I had a bold moment standing in a local floral shop, another female entrepreneur. And I said to her, because at the time I was painting a lot of flowers, uh, abstract flowers, but flowers nonetheless. And I said to her, any chance I could like slap some stuff up on your walls and I'll pay you commission or like whatever. And she said, oh my gosh, absolutely. She said, you can hang everything up on my walls. And she said, and I'm not going to charge you a cent. Uh, And she said, and if it, it, she said, the only time is if it goes through my debit credit system, then you just have to pay the transaction fee. And I said, no, like girlfriend, thank you. And I sold 10 paintings in one weekend, which was like, holy shit, somebody more than me likes my art. Uh, And in fact, one of the women who bought two of my paintings commissioned two more. And so I was like, that weekend, I was like, oh my God, I am an artist with a capital A. And from that moment on, I was like, okay. And so I started sort of doing more uh, local outreach. I didn't have a website. I didn't, I sort of just sprinkled it onto my Instagram And then it was when we moved into this and I had a studio that I was like, I'm having a website, I'm having e-commerce on there. I'm like, I'm whole hog. I'm in there. I'm I'm in there like swimwear. (laughs) And yeah, which has been fabulous. Like it's been such a, 
And I'm learning new things, and I think that's what life is about, is learning and trying and failing and learning and trying and failing and repeat. And, like, hopefully you have some smiles along the way. And that's what I'm I'm experiencing. So it's pretty cool. How do you balance? So I, you said it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You talked about the hustle, the hustle uh-huh. that was in Toronto and the hustle that is part of being – in, like you say, working for the man mm-hmm. in a capitalist world where you just have to keep moving, you just have to keep producing yeah. and, and, and painting and, and some of your other endeavors are the opposite of that. I mean, you actually have to slow down and be with yourself. Yes. How, how, do, you, how do you balance that out or how have you come to terms with the hustle part? You know, I still hustle. I have always been a, but I hustle in different ways and I hustle for me. And I think that is the big difference. So anytime, like a lot of people, interestingly, and you and I have just talked about the fact that neither of us have kids, but a lot of people are like, where do you find the time? And I'm like, I don't have kids. There's the fucking time. Like (laughs) you have three kids and they're in 18 different practice, like volleyball and soccer and all the things like, I don't know where you find the time to even shower, let alone do things. So, like, I know where I find the time. I still find moments on Instagram where I'm doing stuff for the gram, and that to me is, like, part of the hustle. And so I have to check myself every once in a while. And I know that there's certain things I have to do just to sort of play the game properly. But that's different than being a a slave to the algorithm and being like, oh, I have to do this right now. And no, screw that. Like I, if I want to post something to Instagram when it's a good time for me, it's a good time for me. And I don't care if that means that I get less likes or more likes. I just wanted to put the piece out there. Like that's it. That's all I was trying to accomplish. And so that I still feel a little bit of that hustle, but up, up here rurally, like I don't, to me, the networking is more authentic. It's funny. You know, have you been watching um like the Anna Delvey, all of the all these swindlers, like all of these people who literally I'm like, did you not Google the person? But it's such this, it's such fraudulent, it's all seeing to be seen, who's who, like where are you? And that I have no interest in that sort of fraudulent behavior. Like I just want to be in a room full of people who you know, warts and all, like we all have flaws. And and to me, like the hustle is lifting each other up and bring part of that community here as opposed to, I don't know, just trying to be in it for yourself. I, that's, I still struggle with it though. I do, particularly when it comes to social media. That, and I work in social media too, which is like, oh, sometimes it gets a little, and I say to my clients all the time, do as I say, not as I do. I am giving you the ideal strategy. I'm giving you the ideal. I am living an imperfect life. So I don't do the ideal because I am not perfect, right? And so, but I'm striving to be, like I'm striving to do better and not perfect in the like perfect waste perfect. I'm striving to be more perfect in the like wholesome way, contribute to my people, to the world, to even just making somebody's day brighter because I smiled at them at the grocery store. Do you think that that is a rural thing or do you think that that is an age thing or a combination? And I, I shouldn't say age, maturity or 
uh, lived experience way? You know, that's a really good question. I think it's part of a rural thing, truly, because like I always loved at the summer, in the summer on our co- at our cottage on the boat, when you'd go around or you'd be in the canoe, you would wave at everybody, everybody. You wave at everybody. I don't even know who these people are. Could you imagine driving down the highway and waving from your car to every car that passed you on the 401? <laughs> people would be like, what is wrong with this person? And the same thing, like we were in Toronto, I don't know, just a couple weeks before Christmas, we were down there for an appointment. And anyway, my husband and I went for a really lovely long walk down by the waterfront. And we said hello to everybody who passed us with like a big old stupid grin on our faces. And every single person, except for one little old lady who smiled back, literally everybody looked at us like we were Looney Tunes. Like they were shocked that we said hello. They kind of wondered if we knew them, but it was like this gorgeous morning and the sun is shining and we're walking down by the water and it just seemed so appropriate to say hello to my fellow human like good morning good morning and they were like it just and and that to me I'm like no I have no I want to be in a world where everybody says hello to everybody like I want to be in that world yeah at the same time (laughs) Like, you can't say hello to every person who passes you on the TTC. Like, that you would literally, hello, 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 hello. Like, like you <laughs> you wouldn't be able to stop. So I, I get it, but. Well, with that kind of world in mind, so, so talking about, you know, joy and, and, I mean, you lived in, in a community where there was a lot of mm-hmm. diversity. And now you don't. Yes. So very much so. What is that culture shock like and how how are you reckoning with your own privilege as someone who has Ooh. been exposed to a lot more people of color, uh LGBTQ2S plus people that are out? How do you how do you reckon with living rurally? And and everyone's white. Even in Toronto and and the community that I grew up in, there, I mean, it was very diverse, but it was still very white. I grew up very privileged and I had no honest to goodness. Like I I knew I was privileged, but there was no like concept of actually how privileged until I got to university. And my uh roommate said to me, like, this makes me sound so horrible, but I, it's part of my life, so I have to acknowledge it. But she said to me, I have to go to the OSAP office. And I said, what's OSAP? And she looked at me and she was like, right, and left. And I literally, I'm like, I turned to my friend, I'm like, what's OSAP? What's OSAP? Like, what? what is this? And everybody used OSAP to go to school because that's how you can afford to go to school if your parents don't pay for you. And that was like, bing, holy shit. Uh, okay, keep your mouth shut, Heather. You have so much privilege. And moving here, I think it just keeps getting exemplified. Although, interestingly, Brian and I constantly seek out, we seek out interesting people and we seek out all people. And we both try very hard, like, Cycling at the cycling industry is a very white industry, um, but we try very hard to like follow creators and cyclists who are of color, who are trans, who do all, like all people, right? And as an artist, I try that as well. I really try and, and that's one of the things I fear greatly of imitation. Um, 
But I do follow a lot of artists who are of color or indigenous, and their art speaks to me in a really soulful way, but it's nothing that I could even remotely even try to copy because I'm not from that culture. Like, there's no way I could paint like Brent Henry does talking about the residential school system. Like, that's not, I, there's no fear of imitation because that's, I don't even, and that's a huge privilege. But to me, it also allows, I can see, I can see the art more purely because I'm not looking at, at it from a, I hope I don't copy this kind of place. I know that sounds really weird, but I can just see it like totally authentically. I also too, I realize how white it is up here and that's something I work really hard, like I participate in a lot of different things on social media to really amplify the fact that I am inclusive, that I love all people, that I don't want anybody, anybody's voice to be put down, that, you know, we should all lift each other up. I, I hope that my actions speak louder than my, my words. It's an interesting time to be alive, frankly, because I don't think the white privilege that a lot of us uh acknowledge now. I I think that that, I think acknowledging that privilege is in fact even, puts me even at an even more privileged place. Is that weird to say? That I am like acknowledging that privilege is such a privilege because I have the time and space to think about it. I think about the world that I want to leave behind. I also think, interestingly, my aunt who was also childless passed away last year. I was part of the responsibility of cleaning out all her junk um, and like, who do you leave your stuff to? Who who does it go to? The the sort of legacy, what legacy do I leave in the world? And to me, that's so much bigger than just my stuff. When I want people to remember me and that even my art, like I paint a lot of rainbows. I do it because I love happy colors and rainbows, but I also want to celebrate inclusivity like that. I want to celebrate all the colors of the rainbow. I'm not saying it clearly, but I think there is a huge weight that sits on me. And I think about it frequently in terms of the privilege that I've been offered and what can I do with that privilege. So just for those that don't know, um, Ontario uh, Student Assistance Program is what um, OSAP is. I'm familiar with it. I needed it as well. And um, yeah, I I appreciate you acknowledging Mm -hmm. Your privilege because so many of us, including me, I mean, I have been complicit in my life. I grew up in a small town. I was fortunate enough to go to a bigger city mm. so that I saw more diversity, but I also saw lots of racism and discrimination and said nothing. I can admit that. And I think we're on mm. the right path. And I find personally an urgency as well for me that I just want to make things better yesterday. I just want to contribute to things being better because I have this much time, Mm -hmm. like, you Mm -hmm. know, a minute amount of time in the universe left and I've fucked up already. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm playing catch up. I think every white person is. And if you don't feel like you're playing catch up, I think you're missing something. I try very hard not to be this, um, like, I don't want to come across as this all-knowing, like, 
I'm the most inclusive, lovable white girl you've ever met. That's not the case. Like I am I am flawed. I make mistakes. I can guarantee you I've said things that have insulted people. Absolutely not on purpose. Never on purpose, of course. It's just learning. It's learn we learn. And and so you acknowledge the mistake and you just move forward. But I think that, that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge the mistake. And that I think because it means you're flawed. Right? It's vulnerable. Yeah. So let's go back to um, you being an entrepreneur and you moving from PR to freelance and having your own freelance business. Then now you're an artist and a freelancer and you are doing your own fabric now. You have your own fabric line, which is fabulous. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the pendulum switched a little bit from, you know, I've been freelance for seven years now and about three years ago when we moved more rurally to Terra and I got this studio space, the pendulum switched from being sort of 70% PR, 30% art. I'm really sort of at about 50-50 right now. Um, it's an odd tipping point to kind of navigate the transition um, because there is still, I mean, we talked about the hustle. There is still an element of hustle for both freelance work. Most of my work has come through word of mouth. I've been very lucky that I do a good job for my clients and they tell other people that they love me. So to also work with me, which is amazing, but there's still an element of that, right? Like I still have to do good work in order to get that referral. And same thing with art. I have to produce stuff in order to sell it um, and get commissioned. So it's an interesting mix, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I love being in control of my own timeline and schedule. And yeah, I love being an entrepreneur. And I like still being able to support my husband in his business. And and same thing with him for me. Like he set me, helped me set up for art shows and things like that. And like taking time off of his job to do that for me. And I think that's, we wouldn't have had that if, you know, you were walking into work and you're like, I need the day off to do this. That wouldn't have happened. What's your advice to somebody who, on both sides, I mean, somebody that's working Mm. for a government organization or a company doing communications or PR, or somebody who is doing a side business actually a hobby of being an artist. Yeah. What's your advice to one or both of those people that are considering, you know, this isn't working for me anymore. What do I do? How do I become an entrepreneur and work for myself? I would say don't make that decision lightly. Um, And funny enough, uh, I know you're going to put it in the show notes, but Melissa and I did an episode on the, on the, and she looked up creative hour podcast on, uh, when should you quit your day job? <laughs> and that's a great question because a lot of, you know, I came about it very differently than Melissa. Melissa saved up oodles and oodles of cash, not oodles and oodles of cash, but she saved up cash. I just jumped into the deep end with both uh, feet and like zero <laughs> parachute. I think everybody has to make the decision for themselves. What I would say is talk to people who are entrepreneurs and ask some dirty questions about finances ask some dirty questions about how you 
pay your taxes? How, like, ask some of those questions and really figure out if it's for you. I know a lot of people who think that being an entrepreneur looks glamorous. It's like people who think business travel is glamorous. It's not actually glamorous. Like people who travel for work, it is not fun. It's n- no fun. I would say look into that. And if, I mean, I think one of the things right now is there's such an emphasis on a side hustle being a hustle. And I think if you want to do something, if you want to make something, create something just for you for fun, do it and don't feel like you have to turn it into an Etsy shop. I have made myself probably 57 million pairs of polymer clay earrings in the past six weeks because I've discovered it's super duper fun. Um, And all of my girlfriends have received polymer clay earrings in the mail. Everybody who ordered fabric got polymer clay earrings with their fabric order. But it's, I'm not going to start making polymer clay earrings. That's not my, that's not my jam. I could do it. Sure. Could I make money? Sure. Could I start an Etsy shop and make a hundred bucks tomorrow? Absolutely. Is that where my energy should go? No. Do I want my energy to go there? No. Could I change my mind later? Absolutely. And so, uh, yeah, like I just feel like people, sometimes I think the creative gene, people are like, oh, you make this, you should sell it. You could just make it and be really happy with it. Wait, I, I, I want to pick up on what you said about um, the making sure that you have uh, boundaries. Because I hear that yes. through on your, everything that you're saying is about the boundary around your time. And yes, how did you get to that place? That's not an easy thing to do. No, I think one of, you know, interestingly, one of my boundaries, and it came from a place of uh, kind of anger, I would have to say. But when I was sort of in the thick of really trying for kids, I worked in an office with an entire marketing team of moms. And we were marketing beef to moms, how to have beef on March break, how to do family, like everything. My target audience was the mom. I was working with mom media. I was surrounded by moms every day. And then people would say something like, oh, Heather can take that over because she doesn't have to get home to her kids. And I would say, but I have to get home to other responsibilities, just like you have to get home to responsibilities. Just because my dog has four legs and your kid has two doesn't mean that they're any different in terms of my time and what I, after I leave this office. And so that one started very... I'll call it aggressively, being like, fuck you, my time is just as valuable as yours is, you parent person. That then set me on a path for saying, yeah, my time is valuable and I don't have to do all the things that I want to do. And then interestingly enough, working for a PR agency and everything being a billable hour and we tracked our time in 15 minute increments, like being accountable for every 15 minutes of your day is a lot. And so now I still think of it. I'm like, whoop, I spent 15 minutes eating lunch and watching Downton Abbey. And um, that's 15 minutes I didn't make money. Right? Yeah. So I think that for me was a big one. That was a big one was, um, wow. yeah, setting boundaries around my time was a big one. And I also... You know, I think not ha- not having kids, I had to set some very firm boundaries around 
uh, what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable for me to just navigate the world at certain times that were really difficult. And having to do those made it very easy for me to set boundaries elsewhere because I realized like those were really hard boundaries to set. So setting a work boundary, being like, nope, not responding to emails on Sunday, that is so easy. That is very different than telling your Polish Catholic mother that you're not going to do something and a guilt trip is coming your way, right? That is very different boundary to set. But if I could do, if I could stand up against my mother, (laughs) sure, shit, I can do it against a client. So like, yeah, that was the, yeah, that was the hard one. Heather, I could talk to you for hours and hours, and I think that I need to have you on again. Thank you so much for spending the time with uh, us and me today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, This was awesome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And yes, I would love to come back. I think we could could talk for... uh, This could be like a four-hour mini-series of (laughs) conversations. this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a review. It really helps others find us. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by Imaginadev Studios. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to this studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of Indigenous communities and reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 